Hello, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. Shoshana Sofer. She is Professor and Robert Luciano Chair of Healthcare Policy at Baruch College at the City University of New York. We're going to talk about things like healthcare quality measurement and what is good and bad about medicine today. Dr. Shoshana Sofer, what do you see as the biggest challenge right now for healthcare providers from your perspective? Well, I think the biggest challenge is for them to combine being good scientists in the sense of using the best evidence that we have available about what works and what doesn't work, and we don't have all the evidence we need. But in addition to doing that, they also have to make the time in their busy practices to build really meaningful relationships with their patients and sometimes with other family members of their patients. And the way that the world is today, the doctor cannot really take care of the patient unless the patient and the family are also involved in taking care of themselves. And that's whether they're very well and want to stay that way or whether or not they have a diagnosis. So in medicine, we've emphasized the science side. We've emphasized knowing the answers to how to fix something in a sick person. But what we haven't emphasized is how to treat patients with respect and dignity, how to listen to them carefully, how to really give them the ability to make choices for themselves with the doctor about what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And in our current financial environment, it is really hard for both physicians and patients to pull that off. How do you think we got to this point? I mean, do you think people with Mm -hmm. less evidence and with less technology got better care in the 50s and 60s than they do now? Or do you think the care is better with the evidence and the economic constraints? Where do you see it? Well, I think it's a mixed bag. And I think that there are some people who have one specific illness for which we really do have strong evidence, those people are probably getting pretty darn good care today, better than they got in the 50s and 60s. But a lot of us are suffering from conditions that, first of all, are not curable. If we're lucky, they're manageable. But managing them takes a lot of work, as I said before, on the part of the docs and on the part of the patients. And many people have not just one of these conditions, they have several of these conditions. And we now have all of these medications, all of these other interventions that can really help with each and every one of these conditions. But I think that when somebody is in that situation, they need that relationship with the doctor especially. And quite frankly, the way that our economic incentives are set up right now and the way medical practice is set up right now, it's very hard for patients to get the, t- the quality time with clinicians that they need in order to really manage those conditions and have their life go as well as it possibly can. Do you think so, it's too late? I mean, do you think it's too late no, to change things? No, I mean, you know, I, I never give up. Um, I'm, I'm one of those. I just feel like these are tough issues and we can't look for quick fixes. What we have to do is be willing to really maintain a, a consistent push 
to make these changes for however long it takes, and in particular, to take advantage, advantage of moments that occur when there is an opening and change can happen. And certainly in primary care, we are at one of those moments where there are huge challenges but also really incredible opportunities. I know you have a wide variety of interests, and one of them is health care quality measurements and improvement. Those of us in primary care and practice hear the term quality measures, quality improvement all the time. What does it mean to you beyond maybe what an insurance company is coming up and saying we're going to pay you for? What does it really mean from the standpoint of helping patients? Well, let me tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about a little research project that I did with some colleagues at um, the American Board of Internal Medicine. They're a very interesting organization, an incredibly powerful organization, because they certify all the physicians that are in all of the different internal medicine specialties, including the general internal in, in internists who were a lot of the primary care docs. So we did a little research study in which we talked to some physicians who had collected data on these quality measures and used those data to improve their performance in their little practice. And we also talked to a bunch of docs who had the same kind of data but who basically ignored it. They didn't look at it. They didn't pay any attention to it. They submitted it to the insurance company or to the employer or to the CMS or whoever asked them for it, but they didn't, they didn't look at the, it themselves and they didn't do anything with it. So I just remember being in New Hampshire in a small town and talking to a pediatrician. Now, let me just tell you that I have a, a deep and serious bias in favor of pediatricians. I really love them <laughs> uh, because they really love kids. So, you know, what could be bad about that? This was a guy who was the sort of the chief doc in a practice of five pediatricians. And he was one of the people that had decided to use the information to make his practice better. And when we talked about what he had done and when we talked about um, why he did it and how he felt about it, what he basically said was this. He said, again, I'm going to use the science word. He said, I was trained in medical school to be scientific and to use data. So when I actually get these data on these quality measures, I feel a sense of responsibility to my profession to actually use those data to try to improve. But he said that the real payoff is what has happened in terms of the quality of the relationships, going back to that, that he has with his patients. And he says he now wakes up in the morning and feels really good about going to work. So he was what I would call somebody who was intrinsically motivated to do better, okay? What's interesting is that the docs that didn't use the data basically said, well, I will only use it if somebody pays me if I do better. So they were looking entirely for an extrinsic, external motivation, pay me and I'll do my job. While this other guy was saying, doing my job better makes me feel better, as well as giving me higher scores on my patient satisfaction surveys. So I think it's important for us to think about this in the context of medicine as a profession. And medicine is a profession with a long history 
and it should be proud of that history, and physicians should be proud of the fact that they are committed human beings who both have very good training, but who also have absorbed some ideals, not just about what they do, but about why they do what they do, and that, that they do it to care for other human beings, that that's the primary motive, not to make, not just to make a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. I like to make a lot of money, too. But if that's the only motive you have, we're not going to really have a healthy health care system. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host. I'm speaking with Dr. Shoshana Sofer. She is professor and Robert P. Luciano, chair of health care policy at Baruch College, the City University of New York. And really, she's been working in that school in the public affairs faculty since 1998. Uh, long career, seeing lots of changes, uh, lots of good, lots of bad. What do you think is the worst thing that's happened in healthcare from your perspective? Well, it happened a long time ago, and it's something that actually happened in insurance, and it was called experience rating. Uh, this is not something that people talk about very much today, but what experience rating, it, we used to have something called community rating, where when you were trying to price an insurance product, you priced it based on the use of health care by the community as a whole, right? That's okay. community rating. That included the sick people, the well people, the working people, the not working people, the older people, the kids, the middle-aged people. Everybody got folded into that mix. Then some employers got really smart. What they realized was that their employees were healthier than the community because, by definition, they were healthy enough to be working, okay? Their families were also pretty healthy, so they decided they didn't want these community rates. They wanted a rate that was based on the experience of their own employees only. So that meant that they started getting cheaper premiums from the insurance companies, and that's what they wanted. But what that basically means is that we are now not to the same extent all in this together. We're slicing and dicing the community into smaller and smaller bits and pieces. And what that's doing is that it's keeping us away from thinking about what kind of healthcare delivery system is really best for all of us as a community rather than for my little risk pool over here of my employees and their families. Does that make any sense, Brian? Right. So you're basically just looking at your thing. You're not thinking of the overall health of the general population, which obviously would be the goal to make everybody as healthy as you can. Right. So now what an insurance company will do is they will only do something. They'll only innovate if, in fact, it's going to save them money. And since we're churning so much, since people are going from one insurance company to another, there's no sense that if I do this now in five years, something will happen that will save me money. Well, by five years, those people are going to be gone, and the savings will come to some other insurance company. So that kind of churning that's been happening in our system where every employer, every purchaser is chasing the lowest premium, that has not been good for us. So how do you reverse that? Has it reversed to an extent? I mean, where are we now with it? Well, I think we're in the middle of it. I don't think that anything that's happening right now, well, I shouldn't say that. I think the existence of the exchanges is going to change that because what that means is that we're really pricing things on the basis of everybody who participates in the exchange. 
which is one of the reasons why we've been um, so anxious to make sure that, you know, people who may not think they need insurance because they're very healthy still get insurance and participate in the exchange. So I think there's some change in that in terms of the people that are covered by these exchanges. But with respect to the large employers and even the medium-sized employers and what they're doing, that hasn't changed. So if you had the ear of, I don't care who would be the president of any major insurance company in this country, and you could say you wanted something done differently you had, and you had like a minute, what would you ask them? Well, I would ask them something that had to do with something completely different. Um, I would ask them, because quite frankly, I'm, I'm not uh, foolish enough to believe that I could successfully get a CEO of a company to basically uh, not do things that were in their own best in economic interest. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I can ask them to do is I can ask them to work together with other employers to work on improving the health of the population as a whole, okay, so that all of them would be benefited by having healthier people. Brian, in primary care, we do a certain amount of clinical preventive services, right? But we don't really do public health. We don't go into the community and actually figure out how to reduce obesity or how to control uh, the use of tobacco. And quite frankly, that is where we can really begin to improve health and save money. In tobacco, for example, is the biggest cause of death in the United States. If we take it out of the perspective of is it heart disease or cancer, it really isn't either. It's really tobacco. So if fewer people smoked, it would cost us all less. We would all be healthier. And that can't get done. I mean, it can get done in primary care because you can have your white coat effect and tell somebody that they really ought to stop smoking and refer them to a good smoking cessation program but maybe 5% of the people you say that to are going to respond. Whereas if we go into the community, we really can have an impact and have had an impact over the last 20 years, and our smoking rates have really dropped. And that's how we can, I think, really save money, and that's the kind of stuff that I would like to get our large employers engaged in, and some of them have been. Shoshana Safir, I want to thank you for joining us. We have run out of time, but I really appreciate you sharing your insights on primary care today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Me too. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today. Download the podcast and learn more about this series. Once again, thank you so much for listening.